What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. My name is Andy Zaremba, and we are recording here at our, our revamp studio. We've flipped things around because we have some new accessories in the room, and we've had some technical issues with the cameras, but we're here. We got two cameras for our, myself and our guest today, and with me behind the helm, who doesn't have a camera, unfortunately, because he's so good looking, and his hair is just golden and flowing in the wind all the time. Is my brother Mike? Hey, everybody! It's been a while. Turn the camera. It's great to be back. Been busy, uh, kind of upgrading Float House quite a bit. That's where I've been putting a lot of my time. So I appreciate Andy kind of carrying the the torch of Vancouver Real onward and and uh, just yeah, keeping the show the show must go on, as they say. The show so must go on. I'm excited to be back, and I'm really excited for the upgrades we did at Float House. And um, if you haven't been here in a while, definitely come check it out. We've installed three large new Pro Float cabins which are basically the same idea as uh, the float tanks we traditionally have, but you know maximal sensory reduction, that is. But uh, they're a lot more voluminous. So I think if anyone's kind of nervous out, out there, this is definitely a great opportunity to, uh, to tackle that uh, with a little bit more ease and grace. Um, there's even a little light inside for you. And also, uh, they're, they're easier to get in and out of. So yep. people, if you have a bit more mobility issues and chronic pain issues, this is a, a huge opportunity because, yeah, it's, I mean, admittedly, the tanks that we traditionally have, which we still have four of because, you know, there's something to those too. It's more of a traditional womb-like experience, I'd say. But um, they are harder to get in and out of. So these tanks definitely open up that field a little bit for people who have mobility issues. So very excited for that. Uh, these opportunities we've just uh, opened up over the last month here. Yeah, no, they're amazing. I actually haven't floated in one yet, but I really can't wait to get back in a cabin and experience the the size and the voluminous and, and get back into the void. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to check it out, use the promo code Vancouver Real and save twenty yeah. percent. Exactly. And um, what else can we talk about today? I could talk about a little bit about Mantox. I have a Mantox event tonight after this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's going to be all about uh, personal transformation. It's called New by Necessity, and obviously this won't be out before then. Our next event is going to be on February 27th, and it's either going to be called The Warrior Within or The Way of the Modern Warrior. I haven't decided yet. Mm. It's all going to be about being a warrior and like going out <laughs> into the world and getting what you want and not being afraid to take risks and that sort of thing. So that'll be on February 27th, so keep your eyes open for that. And I think that's all we have. Cool. Let's dive but, in. Uh, today... I'm really excited because we have a Mantox alumni speaker with us today. Thank you. Second time appearance on Vancouver Real, Alistair Moose. Welcome back to Vancouver Real. Thanks for having me. The moose is loose. The moose is loose. And you don't mess with the moose because he, you know, he's known as the anger man. It's true. But actually, he actually helps heal anger. So he doesn't actually produce a lot of anger. He actually is one of the most calm and chill people that I know, most likely. <laughs> But uh, what you been up to lately, man? Uh, well, we're we're busy. We're running groups. We start a group tonight in Surrey. We uh, we're running groups in Burnaby and Vancouver. Uh, there's six of us that work here, uh, so we see hundreds of people every year. Nice. And uh, this is my 24th year running the company, uh, so I've seen thousands of people on this topic. Today, I was I was working with somebody in France. And yesterday I was working with somebody in Bermuda, so we're worldwide. So it seems to be you have no shortage of clients. And there's, there's never been a shortage <laughs> of angry people in the world, in my humble opinion. So it's not so it's not going away, 
But what do you find are, like are some of the common themes when it comes to anger? You know, we can we can dive into some of the stereotypes around anger and like you know some maybe some of the negative perceptions or, or or things like that. But you know, what are some of the the common general themes that cause people to be angry? Well, and, and first of all, I don't think anger is bad. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes to me and says, "Yeah, I never get angry," I'm like, "I'm sorry," because <laughs> are you a it's human? not a good sign, right? I mean. Yeah. I get angry. We're we're supposed to get angry. If you're a, an athlete, if you're um, at a high level, there's some anger there. You're trained there's, there's to be drive aggressive. and and there's focus, and it can serve us. Mm-hmm. I think every big change in the history of the world started with anger. Right. You know, usually a small group of people or a large group of people got angry, and perhaps they actually stopped and took the time to get. Uh, to connect to each other, be wise, be connected to their intelligence, their heart, and do something uh, constructive with that anger. So it can be a hugely motivating force. Yes, yes. And, of course, people come to us because they didn't do that constructive thing with the anger. They did something destructive with the anger. And uh, one of the the stats that I've uh, read was that every year the percentage of Canadians with hypertension high blood pressure, goes up. Mm-hmm. Just a tiny percentage every year. So it's like people are so busy and got so many things going on that it, it becomes somewhat overwhelming. And if people aren't taking care of themselves, like, I don't know, maybe floating or things like that, <laughs> yeah. that, uh, Thanks for the plug. you know, this, this builds up. Right. And it builds up unless we're aware of it. So right. part of the work that we end up doing is helping people become more aware of what's actually happening in their body. So people feel a constriction in the in the chest, right? We've all felt that. Or the guy I was talking to today in France talked about in his spine, hmm. right? Back of the neck, down his spine, hmm. uh, uh, in the belly, lots of stuff in the belly. Yeah. In the belly, it's usually about worry. Hmm. It's about anxiety. It's about paying attention to what we have no control over. Um, in the chest, it's usually more around fear. In the solar plexus, it's usually uh, we, we feel power and powerlessness. Mm, right. Right. So in the chest, you feel we love expansiveness mm. and constriction with, right. with the fear. Um, but uh, in the solar plexus, it's more about shame. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we need shame, right? If nobody felt shame, nobody would come to see us. We go, oh, whatever, I hurt, I wrecked you. Oh, right, if, if right. they do something, they regret, and then... And so healthy shame hmm. connects us with our conscience hmm. so that we don't cross that line. Right. Whereas uh, unha- unhealthy or toxic shame is that voice, that inner critic, where we put ourselves down, where we say we're useless or not worthy or no good or a failure or a fraud or all of these things. So I think we all have both, right? We all have the that powerful side in us, right? And that uh, that side where if if the toxic shame takes over, it's like somebody just hits you right in the solar plexus. We drop our gaze and we collapse, right? There's no power in that, right? Whereas when we hold ourselves up, because we all make a lot of mistakes in life. Mm. Okay, I've made a lot of mistakes in life, yeah, and we need to face them. You need to look them straight on and and deal with it, right. address it. Yeah. Honestly, 
take responsibility. Um, and that's where we reclaim our dignity. Because hmm. it's not like we're not after perfection. We're after improvement. So guys guys came to the, the second session of a group last night. And we, we see about half of the people individually. But in the group last night, session number two. And guys come in and talk about how they are... They're just paying more attention to all this stuff. They're noticing more. We've right. talked about some of the physiology about what happens when we escalate, uh, how we, you know, people will get a, a headache, and it's because the blood vessels leading to the high reasoning part of the brain are constricting. Hmm. We're shutting that part down because the body's going toward fight or flight. The body's acting as if we have, uh, we're facing a tiger. And facing the tiger, we don't need to uh, philosophize. Right. right? We, don't about need, action. we don't need to think yeah. about complexities. Right. So we shut that down, or the body automatically <clears throat> does, and then we're left with a very ancient part of the brain, the brain stem. And that part of the brain is all or nothing. Yeah. Hmm. Fight or flight. Well, actually, there's fight, flight, or freeze. But most of the time, we're in fight or flight. Right. Well, freeze would still be under the stress response, though. You just you're, you tense up. I'm sure you're still very tense. I'm still those, I'm sure there's those stress hormones pumping through your body, Steam, right? Yeah, yeah. Free, freeze is a uh, survival tactic. It's like yeah. stop and let's assess what's going on before we take action because maybe something's dangerous over there or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like so you you kind of re- react uh, based on what. The situation calls for, for the most part, to try to get the best response possible. Yeah, there, there's, so there's a couple of parts to that. One is, if you're walking down a trail and out of the corner of your eye you uh, notice a snake, right? you're going to freeze. You're going to stop and you're going to check out what's going on. Makes perfect sense, yeah. But the other part is, if we're overwhelmed and the freeze response happens when we can neither fight nor flee... In that moment where uh, it can be somebody in a job somewhere mm-hmm. where they don't feel they can leave the job because they have to keep their income, but they're getting abused in the workplace, then that can be quite overwhelming. Or uh, a guy is at home and he's the one that's taking care of the kids and his wife is cheating on him and she won't leave and he doesn't feel like he can leave. Because he, he needs to look after his So a feeling of kids. helplessness. Yeah, helplessness, powerlessness, yeah. but also trapped. Mm. Right. Right. So in nature, in nature, you think of uh, a cheetah, full-grown cheetah chasing a small young gazelle. And the gazelle's running away, but it's alone, and, well, the cheetah's catching it. And that last moment when the cheetah's going to bite into it, the gazelle just falls as if it's dead. It's like it's in shock. And it's last-ditch survival response because running, right? Flight didn't help, and it can't fight the cheetah. So it falls down as if it's dead. All the pain receptors have deadened. Hmm. Inside, it's still like full on, like the gas is on full. Adrenaline is on full. But the body shuts down. But the body shuts down, doesn't feel anything. So when the cheetah bites it, it doesn't struggle. Because it doesn't struggle, the cheetah doesn't have to rip it apart or kill it. Oh, so, so the, it could be a survival It is tactic. a survival tactic. It's right. a last ditch. Nothing else is available. So that's like the idea of playing dead. 
and and it's automatic. There's no hmm. there's no thought, uh, and so it just falls as if it's dead. And the cheetah will pick it up or drag it back to its lair. Maybe the cheetah gets distracted by some lions or some other predators, right. has to put it down. Well, because it didn't struggle and get right. That makes apart. Or oh, the cheetah thinks it's it, dead and it, it just like it, puts it down for a second. That's and right. It may be away. able to take off. Right. If it does leave, if it does get a chance to get away, it'll run back to the herd. It'll run to the very middle of the herd, the safest place it can find. And automatically, the body will start to shake. Mm-hmm. And it'll shake for a period of minutes and uh, be, because, you know, gazelles aren't really self-conscious. They're not like, oh, my God, I'm looking kind of weird here, right? <laughs> right. So it just shakes, and it's expressing the trauma from that near-death experience. Hmm. But if we have, for instance, a soldier who's been traumatized in the field, say they were driving in an armored vehicle, something blew up, you know, a mine or what have you, didn't kill them, but they had nobody to fight in that moment, and they're soldiers, they can't leave. Same thing is happening to the soldier internally. It's like all this stuff is going on. And at some point that evening, back at home base, safest place he can find, the emotions start rising up. His heart rate starts going up to about 150-plus beats a minute feels like his heart's going to burst out of his chest. He's having a panic attack or an anxiety attack, part of PTSD. And internally, just like the gazelle, this is all going on in there, and it needs expression. But he's a little more self-conscious than the gazelle and doesn't want to look weak. So he just clamps down and probably isolates himself so nobody sees where he is hides himself so nobody sees him freaking out. Maybe self-medicates? Definitely self-medicates. Alcohol, maybe smokes, weed, or uh, what's really effective is uh, heroin or opium or fentanyl. Right, because those are just painkillers, essentially. That that just numbs it all, and then he doesn't feel a thing, and it's like, whoo-hoo. But all of that is still in him, and of mm. course he comes back to, to Canada, and he's a little more reactive than when he left. Mm. And he's a lot more likely to become uh, addicted. Until fairly recently, half of U.S. veterans were homeless because they got all this in them. They're traumatized, and they're, uh, they're not able to deal with life properly because everything seems so over the top. Mm. When we're holding trauma, when that trauma is triggered... It's just super emotional and reactive, and people don't deal with it very well. So, so kind of coming back to the original question of like the themes that you kind of experience, is that one of them then? Is like PTSD, like can it uh, manifest with anger? Um, and then also, like, and so what, what could uh, other themes be? Like, I heard, like, example, anger is a secondary emotion. And behind it is like actual sadness. Can you maybe kind of elaborate on that a little bit too? If sure. that's if that's true, I don't even know if so, it's formally true or not. So, so, so two things. One is there's always uh, a history. So there's always some sort of history going, usually going back to when the person is younger. Not always, but most of the time. And there's current circumstances. And so something something's happened, and it might be sadness. It might be grief. It might be fear, uh, guilt shame, feeling inadequate, something's pushed that button and the person reacts. And it's interesting because 
it doesn't matter. Like anger doesn't discriminate against <laughs> where you're from, how much money you have, where you you know yeah. any of these things. It just rises up in us, and if we allow it to, it takes us over, and we become egocentric. And so, uh, you know, we always talk about driving. Uh, you know, driving always comes up, but it's usually about family. Mm. It's it's generally it's about the people that are closest to us mm. because that's where the most emotion is. Yeah, like if somebody you're walking down the street here, somebody calls you a name, and it's you know, like, well, you know, who are yeah. you? <laughs> unless, unless you maybe are secretly like triggered by that for some reason, because yep. that, you know, you've been called that before, then you'd be like, well, I don't care what he thinks. Yeah. It's like, you know, and, and possibly it's somebody with some mental health problems right. and you look and you, maybe you even have some compassion for the person. It doesn't yes. matter. There's a good chance, especially down downtown East side, you're going to get a lot of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if it's your brother or some other family member, we never trigger each other. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty good. You know what? We've ironed out a lot of our stuff to be honest. Yeah. And, but once in a while we, we get into it every yeah. now and then. Well, it's, a, it's important to, to that. People allow themselves to feel it and express it. Right. That's what I was going to ask you next. So, you know, this idea of, um, so, you know, processing your anger maybe, but what about sometimes when it needs to be expressed? Yeah, well, it, it, it needs expression, but it needs healthy expression. Right. Right. So people come to see us because they expressed it, but usually not in a really good way. Mm. Right. It usually just all came out at once. We actually see a lot of nice guys. A yeah. lot of nice guys that, you know, I remember one guy uh, who played football and he had like six or seven younger, no, older sisters. Mm-hmm. And he grew up. There's no way that he could verbally deal with all of the older sisters. That would be an onslaught. So he, you know, he was a nice guy. Right. He kind of was giving in. And then he was this huge hulking football player, right? Weird, and it right? and it built up in him, yeah. Hmm. And it built up, and then one day it all came out at once, and it was like, oh my god, you know, well, the, <laughs> probably the and, police were called. And right. that guy freaking out is a, a different story because he's liable to throw a table across the room or something. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot scarier than his sister is freaking out, right? And so he ended up coming my way so so it's important that when the emotions hit us that we actually are aware of them so i grew up in a family where the instruction you know by example from my dad was just kind of being numb to it all yeah don't even acknowledge if you feel sad or any of this stuff it's like you just don't go there Mm. you just suck it up and pretend like everything's fine. That's what you do. But if you do that, and, and, and as you get older, you use alcohol to continue keeping that at bay, as a lot of people do. But, of course, it doesn't work because the emotions resonate through the physical body. Mm. And then at some level, we interpret them, possibly, if we notice them. But even if we don't notice them, they're going to move through us. They're going to express themselves in one way or another. Hmm. You can hang on to uh, grief for decades. It's going to come out in some way. Or 
uh, we're going to carry it as shame or turn it into cynicism or or, or it's going to it's going to it's going to manifest in some form yeah. in a different way that's probably going to be unhealthy right correct right so let's say for example you know i feel like i'm i'm fairly good at recognizing my emotions and i'm mm-hmm. and i'm generally pretty good at uh like down regulating or even just like uh reframing and, and that sort of thing right uh, or maybe yeah. expressing if i need to express i feel like i i you know i'm i'm fairly yeah. well attuned there yep now, and I'm not sure exactly how I've learned it, but um, I, I think it just comes with a certain level of, you could maybe use the word mindfulness or awareness of, um, and, and just knowing when you feel those emotions coming on, being aware of them and like, you know, not necessarily just getting completely swept up in them. Now, how do you train people to, to learn a skill like that? If somebody's like maybe unaware of, their emotional state or emotions that are running well, through them. Well, sitting still, which is difficult for many people, but yeah, yeah. just sitting still and noticing your breathing is a good place to start. But um, I, I've had guys from my groups, I'd go, you know, float both here and in Victoria. Nice. And and I could tell when the guy floated regularly, he became more self-aware. Absolutely. Mm. And, yes, absolutely. Because what, what they, sorry, what I was going to add to that yep. was that one reason for that is it increases what they found in the, the latest float research is it actually increases interoception. So this is the mm-hmm. idea of the sensations coming up through the body and being perceived by the brain. So it's like you're becoming more aware of what's happening internally. And if you're more aware of what's happening internally, you're more quickly to recognize those feelings. Like you, as you said, like so many of them manifest in the body, right? Yes. Yeah. And if you can notice those in yourself, you can connect to them in another. Hmm. So, um, they, they, a study, we keep on going back go, to science. Go back right? to the studies, yeah. So, they did a study where they studied interoception. Mm-hmm. Real simple study. All they did was look at uh, whether somebody could notice their heart beating. Mm. Right. And they had something on one hand that was following the the heartbeat on the other hand it was yes or no just a switch yes or no Mm. headphones that were either in sync with the heart rate or a little out of sync and so they would test all these people some people they could just lie there and they could feel their heart beating and they could be 100 percent accurate some 50 50 some not at all they're just guessing Mm. they also gave all these people a questionnaire that tested for uh, empathy, right? The ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, feel what they're feeling. Well, the people that were really, you know, 100% accurate all ranked really high on the empathy questionnaire. Hmm. People that couldn't feel a thing, really low on the empathy questionnaire. Right. Right. So, this ability to feel what's going on in your body allows you to connect with somebody else's um, yeah. experience. If we're able to be with our own sadness, our own tears, our own grief, then we can be much more comfortable with somebody else who's also grieving or, or crying, and it and it and it's not triggering us. But if we're really uncomfortable with our own emotions, such as sadness or grief or crying, then we don't know what to do around somebody else's grief or crying. See, that's pretty huge because, like. Basically, 
you know, not only do you start to benefit yourself by being able to um, better sense your emotional state and be, have that body awareness, but with what you're saying there is like it actually lets you become more effective partner and communicator yes. and empathizer or whatever. It's like that's a pretty huge thing. So not only are you just doing yourself a service, you're actually helping, every, you're potentially helping other people by being able to have a better in with them potentially. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like your emotional intelligence goes up because you can uh, notice, and and I think I think we pick up on uh, we have these things called mirror neurons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you pick up on what's going on in somebody sure. else, right? And if you're able to be with that yourself, hmm. then you can notice, right? I, I'm I'm I was sitting at a seminar. There's like a hundred people in the audience, and we're a guy up on on stage uh, asked us to speak to the person beside us. Um, woman beside me talks to me uh, for the full two minutes about uh, the fact that she just sold her house, felt she got really bullied into it, and uh, uh, and, and that you know she was upset with with all of this, and and then the two minutes was up, and we went back to looking up at the the person up front and i i felt this sensation in my chest it was kind of like almost like throw up right it was like Mm. what is this and i went well it's not mine it's hers so i leaned over to her and i said you're feeling (laughs) disgust aren't you Mm. she goes yeah that's exactly what i'm feeling thanks and i went all right and i looked back up and i went oh there's something else there a little lower and i go and shame and she Uh. says you're right. And I, like she was grateful because that was happening in her, but she wasn't really aware of it. Mm. And when I pointed that out, it left me because it wasn't mine, it was hers. Hmm. Yeah. Right? So we can also walk by somebody who's in a really bad mood and kind of pick it up. Right. Unless we notice, it's like, what, what is right. this? I'm so, feeling and that's this. In, that's interesting because you get that too. Like people sometimes, and I've never really thought of it this way until you said it, is uh, about the mirror neurons. Like we do yeah. have that subconscious kind of element to us of detecting each other's state and like reflecting it back almost or internalizing it. Sure. Because everyone would be like, oh, I can just sense, you know, how you're feeling, etc. And, you know, but they try to take like a more esoteric, mystical kind of, um, you know, but paradigm it, to it. But it seriously could be that physiological yeah, exactly, process Which is kind on, of interesting. Right? So, you know, yeah. instead of just dismissing that on people's abilities, um, there could be some hard science there too, which yes, is interesting. Definitely. And, and there are people who are definitely more um, sensitive. With, with, what do we call them? Uh, empaths. Well, right? you know, a lot of the guys that come my way, tough guys. But they've been kind of reactive. And, uh, <laughs> that, that usually doesn't happen. That's funny. We, we almost never have distractions like that. That guy is bold. He's yeah. going to be mad. Yeah. He needs to see you. Anger. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> it's a perfect um, example. Yeah. A lot of the, the, the guys are reactive. And after I've talked with them for a while, usually individually, I'll say, you're actually really sensitive, aren't you? Mm. And the guy goes... Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. How Don't dare tell you? Anybody, but, yeah. But, yeah. but they yeah. are very sensitive, and once they're more in alignment and, and aware of what's going on in them, then then all this emotion isn't taking them over. They're not like being run by the emotions. They can sort of step back and, and reflect upon what's going on in them 
and connect more first to themselves but also to others. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those examples of how someone's pain can become their gift as well. Right? If, they're, if they're a sensitive guy, they picked up all this stuff and they've internalized it for a long time. Once they deal with it and process it, then they could like use that sensitivity to like become super empathic and feel what somebody else is feeling and be like, oh, so that's what's going on. You feel that in your chest. You feel like in your stomach. You have shame. I thought the shame interest, the thing that was, was interesting when you brought up shame because it's like maybe she felt like she, you know, she was swindled and ashamed of that because she's like, oh, I should have been smarter. I shouldn't have let myself get taken advantage of like that. Mm-hmm. So she had the shame around it as well. So I could totally see that connection between, and it actually is a physical process of what's happening. So how can people, is there a way people can develop that further if they wanted to? I think if they wanted to become more empathic and be able to read somebody and be like, oh, I can sense what they're feeling right now. Is there anything you can do to uh, increase that? Or is it just sort of an innate gift? I think there's lots of things that you can do to, uh, to increase it. And, right. and yeah, and you need to be careful with it. Yeah. Right, because a lot of people that you know, when they come our way, the emotions ran them in that moment. The emotions were totally in control of them, and they weren't stepping back and observing and noticing. You know, they were just run by it all, and things didn't go well. Mm. So, uh, you know, as mentioned earlier, um, just sitting still, meditating is, and just noticing what it feels like in your body. Just taking a few minutes to do that every day seems to have a really positive impact. Um, another study that was at a residential treatment center for addictions. They have all these people there for 30 days. Half of them, they give them instructions. Sit still, uh, you know, meditate. But basically the instruction is sit still and notice your breathing. And whenever your mind wanders, just bring it back without judgment. It'll wander again. Don't beat yourself up. You just bring it back without without any judgment or self-criticism. And you do that for 10 minutes a day, for 30 days. The other group, they gave them uh, stress management techniques. Mm. And after 30 days, they found that the group that was doing just sitting still doing nothing for 10 minutes a day, just noticing themselves, were 70% less likely to relapse. Huh. What they found was that the people that were doing this 10 minutes a day after 30 days, we're sleeping on average an hour longer than the other group. Wow. And if you sleep longer, like there's a huge amount of people that don't get enough sleep. Yeah. yeah. If you get enough sleep, your brain works better. You're smarter. <laughs> Everything works better. Everything. Yeah. Your memory works better. You can think more clearly. You live and longer. So you're like, going to think things through. Yeah. You're less likely to relapse. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so sitting still for 10 minutes a day, definitely helpful. But um, floating is fantastic for that because you're just there and you can just spend the time noticing what it feels like in your body. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so when I float, I'll come back to the breathing over and over and over again and just noticing what it feels like in my body because that's where, that's where all the emotions happen. And you can see it when people are, you know, they're, they're moving their legs or their hands or they're flipping a pen totally. around or... You know, and and not that those things are bad, but it's like, okay, what what are you choosing to do with this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. when people get more attuned to what it's like when they get closer to their trauma or their buttons being pushed or what have you, notice what's happening in your body, and notice what you can do 
that brings you down, like that lowers your heart rate, <clears throat> such as <clears throat> breathing, just yeah. breathing through the nose. Like I'll, I'll, I'll tell the guys in the group, I'll say, so you're getting into an argument, your heart rate going, is going up, your blood pressure is going up, maybe a bit of adrenaline's kicking in. One of the best things you can do is shut your mouth and breathe through your nose. Yeah. <laughs> breathe deep into the abdomen slowly. Do that just for a little while. It'll bring your heart rate down. It triggers the relaxation response in your mm -hmm. body. And uh, potentially it allows you to connect with the higher reasoning part of your brain and your heart and your emotional intelligence. And then you're going to be smarter. You're going to deal with the whole situation better. Right. Like you said, the connecting to that higher reasoning part of your brain, because that, like you said, shuts down in those fight or flight situations. Like it's like when you when you're doing something stressful, like public speaking, for example, and you're on stage and like your heart's yeah. going and then all of a sudden, like what's the public speaker's worst fear for the most part? Yeah. Other than tripping, it's like forgetting what you're going to say. It's yeah. forgetting your lines, right? And if you can, get, if you can trigger that relaxation response, then you can, like the neo, I think it's the neocortex, right, which basically starts regulating. Uh, it's it's like the executive function within the brain. Yeah. So it's helping you make better decisions. So instead of just being totally reactive and in the moment and fighting, it's like okay, that comes back online. You can be like, oh, I can step back and look at this a little more objectively, maybe, and calm it all down. So well, there you go. Breathe through the nose, right? And like you said, the, the meditation aspect, like you, you know, floating meditation, they're very similar, different environments, essentially. Um, I think one reason people struggle with it is simply because it's not necessarily easy. You know, that's one thing I think that people yeah. think that, you know, when you're in meditation, it should be just pure Zen and pure bliss or whatever. And it's like, no, it's actually challenging because you're just confronting that over and over and over. Right. And that's what it is. Yeah. And, and I, I've meditated for many years and. My mind is not like a still point. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you, there's so many things you can do technique-wise um, to, to play with that, right? Like, I, I was listening to uh, – I'm doing the Sam Harris meditation course, and he's got this app, and it hooks you through this – I think it's 50 days of meditation. And um, this one exercise he does I thought was pretty interesting is think of your attention as like a spotlight, and let it move around your body. So focus on your breath, focus on different areas of your body, focus on your mind, mm -hmm. and play with moving your attention around. Because that's sort of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of times in meditation, you're like just focusing on the breath or whatever. But you can really, you can start playing with that. So it's like you are, in a sense, doing the same thing, but you're just putting a different spin on it. And Because it, it can be like yeah, a little torturous sometimes sitting there just going to your breath over and over and over, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, another thing people do is uh, progressive muscle relaxation. Right, that's great too, yes. Right. Where you're yeah. just contracting and releasing yep. with the breath. You know, start at your feet and you go all the way up to the top of your head and, and, and back down again. Well, usually people are asleep by, you know, at some point within all of that. Yeah. Because it's relaxing. Yeah, so it is, it is, there's lots of things you can do, but, um, you know, what do you recommend to people who might be adverse to starting a meditation practice? Because it does seem pretty universally beneficial for pretty much everyone, but a lot of people tend to resist it. Mm. How would you recommend somebody start something like that? Well, I think, uh, I mean, a slightly different tangent is often when people come to me, things are pretty bad. Right? Nobody phones the anger management guy unless uh, yeah. there's been some kind of big blow up. So usually they're very focused on the problems and what's wrong, um, what isn't working in their life. And oftentimes people haven't been sleeping well. They haven't been really taking good care of their diet. Uh, 
they're they're not they're not exercising they're not engaging in the things that they love mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so one of the things i suggest for people is what do you do that you know takes you away from it all i had a guy who was in his 80s come and see me and uh and i asked him i said well what do you do this just for yourself and he says oh i do woodworking and i said okay well um and he, and he goes on and talks about how he used to have a big work, woodworking shop, but they downsized, but he still got a shop. And, and he talked about these like really fine pieces of woodwork that he did. And I said, okay, so before you came to me, you had this blow up. How much time had you spent woodworking before that? Yeah, not at all. I said, okay, well, make sure that you prioritize that you get into the shop and you do stuff. Because when he does that, everything else disappears. Right, he's in that flow state. He's in that flow state. And and so that is very meditative and I think just as helpful as being uh as as meditating, doing things where we're inspired and it might be sitting at the beach watching the waves come in. Sure. Or walking at the beach or out in nature or doing some sort of hobby that just really Yeah. I re- I heard a great term for that flow state. It's called experiential fusion. Because you're just, there's no separation between you and what you're doing. You're just Mm -hmm. doing the thing and you're completely wrapped up in it. Where like in a mindfulness practice, you're actually looking at the situation as more of an observer. But in an experiential fusion, there's no separation. And I think it's a great way to say, I don't like to use the word escape. But it's like you are, you're you're taking a mental break from your other stressors in your life. Yeah, and it's it's not like you're, you're focusing on something else. Yeah. And it's something that breathes life into you. Yes. Whereas when we're focusing on all the problems and all the disasters around, it's like, you know, life is draining out of you. Right. Like I've, I've, I've had a job before where I felt like everything was just being sucked right out of me. And I knew I needed to leave that job because it was, it was killing me. And at some level, I'm grateful because it kind of inspired me to do more of the work that I'm doing right now because I knew I couldn't keep doing that. Hmm. Right. And you, how long have you been doing it for now? 24 years. Wow. That's yep. wild. In, in the counseling field since 89. And how, so and how do you years. feel? Um, do you feel quite fulfilled with that career choice? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, 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 I love the work because we get to see... Uh, a lot of men and and women, and we run women's groups as well, um, create really positive change. And and it completely depends on them, whether they decide to open up and actually look at themselves. But when they put that effort in, uh, anything is anything is possible. And we see we see great changes. So I, I get inspired by my work. And uh and when I'm in session with people, sometimes you know, the time just goes by so fast because we're in the middle of doing something really creative, and uh, and the unexpected happens. I'll I'll do work with people where I'll have them have a conversation with themselves. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll say uh, a recent one. I had a guy have a conversation with himself. Only it was one one chair. It was him when he was really stressing about money. And the other one was him when he was really grounded. And he's a healer. Like he's, he's uh, done a tremendous amount of good work. 
But there's the other, there's the financial stuff that just takes them over at times. And so I had him describe what this part looked like and sounded like and the look on his face. And and then, it, you know, I, I just have him finish sentences. So what I noticed about you is, well, you're really distraught. I went, all right. I am switched and sit on the other seat. I say, I'm really distraught because, and and he's just overwhelmed financially. And the first time I, like a, a time when I was younger that was really powerful where I felt this was uh, when when my parents were splitting up and they were totally stressed and they didn't pay attention to me. They just were all looking at themselves and 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 he felt <clears throat> completely helpless and so then it was okay so what i need right now is from that place to be seen to be heard to be loved to be taken care of so I, okay you know and i'm shortening this up i'm gonna no. switch and so the adult healer in him i said so the next time i see you freaking out what I'm going to do is tell you that I love you, that you're safe, that this is all going to work out. And and there's tears through the whole thing. And and it hits wow. home because he's in his head all the time. Yeah. But he feels it and he's completely present to it. And the learning happens right here in the body. It doesn't happen up here. Right. And this person was coming to you originally for like anger. He, he thought yeah. he had anger issues. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Hmm. But all of this stuff comes out of him and harms his relationship with his partner, who he loves and who he doesn't want to hurt. But until he can really connect at a deeper level with all this stuff, he doesn't get it. And then the emotions just rise up and take him over and mm-hmm. he's becomes really anxious and controlling and what have you. Right. I mean, it comes no, out in different ways in different people. The financial guy, the guy who had the financial issues, right? Yeah, so a lot of people have well, a, well, an emotional I, sure. uh, relationship with money. Sure. I guess my, my point with that one, too, is I think, like, the well, this is just a question, actually. So it's great to learn, like, the coping strategies. So when you go into that, that stuff around money or whatever that happens to be for the individual, that's great to cope with it. But in some sense, too, you know, what about trying to attack the issue or maybe deal, maybe attack's a bad word, but deal with the issue head on? Because it's like, address the address issue, the head issue on. sure. Yep. Yep. Because it's like, well, you might be feeling this pressure around money because it's like, well, he, he might be, who knows? Might be, the bank might be foreclosing on his house. He's got tons of credit card debt. And that is a real problem, right? Yes. So, because I feel like it could be a two pronged attack, where it's like, yes, you gotta oh. you gotta emotionally regulate, but then it's also you also have to deal with the actual problem. Yeah, but probably he's not coming to me for financial advice on that, right? Uh, but right. Uh, definitely, there's a practical side to it that absolutely needs to be addressed. Yeah, I'm not and, saying like financial, but just maybe the coaching aspect. Yeah, to, and when when that anxiety and all that emotion takes him over, he's not useful. Yeah, I, they, like not he's not—he's not good at addressing it. It's counterproductive. Mm. So when he's more able to step back and notice what's going on and be compassionate and kind with the part of him that's freaking out, right. then it's less likely that that side is less likely to run the show. 
Right. So the, the emotional regulation allows him to go and maybe be more effective in his life. To be more intelligent. Right. To be more grounded. Right. To be more emotionally intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. All of those things. So there's always a, a, a tremendous amount of complexity around anger. Yes. Right. Yes. When the per, when the anger takes the person over, they end up mm. thinking in terms that are very black and white, mm. all or nothing. Mm. Not so intelligent. Yeah. But afterwards, when they reflect, oh my God, that wasn't right. that wasn't me. Then they're kicking themselves. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I said, well, you're right. It's not you. I mean, you did it. You're responsible. But you know, you're more yourself when you're connected to your heart. When you're connected to your uh, intellectual and emotional intelligence. When you're connected to your your gut instinct and 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 all of this stuff. And you're aware of your ego, that part of you that wants to be heard and seen and get your way. So you can have a big ego and be comp- competitive and ambitious and you know, still have a balance where you're connected to your heart and you, know, you act like a decent human being. Right? Or there are a few examples out in the world where the person's just the ego, just the part of them that wants to, to be seen and heard uh, it runs the show completely. Right. And then they end up acting in a way that's disconnected from their own heart, but uh, but also from other people's humanity. Right. Mm. You mentioned that financial stressors are a big one for people. Are there some yeah. other common themes that you see that run through that people are dealing with on a regular basis? Sex, hmm. um, which which often comes down to emotional connection. Right. People get overwhelmed. There's so many things to do. They're so busy that they just don't. Uh, it's like people will will put all their emotional energy into maintaining healthy relationships in their work mm. or with people outside of their uh, home. And then when they get home, they let their guard down. They don't put that effort in with the people that they love the most. Mm. Whereas it would make more sense that people actually put at least as much effort into those relationships that matter the most, yeah. which, which does it. It takes more, but it gives way more back. Hmm. But people get so overwhelmed <clears throat> and tired, they stop putting that effort in. And you know, then you know, relationships exist between people. So I think of a relationship like a sphere, and if we put energy into it, love and kindness and attention, uh, uh, listening, then then it shines. But if we're not putting that effort in, it kind of gets dark and kind of drops a bit. Yeah. And Deflated. When, yeah, it deflates, yeah. and people act as if they don't have the energy to do that. And I said, well, I don't think you have the energy not to do that. Hmm. Because when you put that energy in, you, you get people always say they get more back, right? People, you know, last night in our group, we spent some time talking about compassion. Because compassion takes energy and effort, it takes some vulnerability. Um, and you're, you're, you're caring, you're, you're being present, uh, you're, you're treating the other person as equally valuable as yourself, you're walking side by side. But you're opening up to them, and you have empathy. You're feeling what they're feeling. This takes some effort. And so I asked the group, what does it feel like afterwards? 
It's kind of warm and expansive and energizing. Right. 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 It adds to the quality of our life when we do it. But most men, I didn't grow up learning really what compassion was or what it meant or nobody really talked about it. So I have those conversations with men because I think it's important to get some experience having these conversations that mm. we, we didn't grow up learning, so we need to teach ourselves. Like the guy I was talking to you earlier, he ne- it's like he's parenting himself. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be like tons of gaps in our upbringing that need to be addressed later Always on. Always more to learn. <clears throat> right? Yeah. So you, you covered financial, you covered sex and relationships. Are there, are there some other commonalities? Like what about maybe, uh, what comes to the top of my head might be like uh, feeling bullied or, or feeling taken advantage of or that sort of thing. Because I feel like that could be something that would get people pretty upset. Like taken advantage of by their partner or by I somebody just, I'm saying in general, maybe they feel like they're being taken advantage of yeah. at work or by their partner or by their, sure. maybe their friends or their family. Who knows, right? Yeah, 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 that certainly happens regularly, and yeah. and often that goes back until they were they were young, because like you talked about the nice guy syndrome, right? And of course, maybe you've heard of the book No More Mister Nice Guy. It's pretty mm-hmm. much required reading for men in general, I think. Yeah, uh, No More Mister uh, Robert Glover's great book on that. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's that nice guy syndrome because again we we bottle it up, bottle it up, and all of a sudden then we you know one day snap and it explodes. Yeah. Right. So, um, how do you think that uh, someone who does, you know, is it going to be a, a people pleaser? So, is that a good way of saying it? Being able to talk about what it feels like in their body, because when we're being passive, which is what that being a nice guy is, when we're being passive, we're 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 not honoring our, our own humanity, and we're sacrificing our dignity to please somebody else. Yeah. So, first of all, we need to get real clear on what actually is happening and what we're doing and knowing the history on it. Because there's a there's usually a whole history that goes back to when you were a kid and it didn't you know, well it may have served us when we were a kid where we had to be passive, where we had to please somebody who was an adult, a mother or a father, uh, because you know, our lives depended upon it at some level, or that's what it feels like when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. And so it's getting to know that so that we can do something different with it, so we can relate to that part of ourselves differently and understand it, own it, yeah, face it. And once we really know it intimately, then it's less likely to run us, and we can learn how to speak up. How to say no, um, and and how to say yes at the right time as well, for that matter. Right. How to be assertive. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, but we have to go into our shame because usually people aren't. You know, they they don't really want to look at this stuff. Well, it's not. Uh, it's, it's not, not going to be fun. It's not pleasant. Yeah. But it's empowering. Right. Mm. Well, it's like you know the places we don't want to work look the most are probably where we need to go, right? Um, we talked about men a little bit this episode. What about women? What are the, some of the more common um, issues that women, women face when it comes to anger? Because I feel like, you know, maybe it's a little more stigmatized around women because women feel like they shouldn't get angry at all. 
but yeah. but like men, you know, men get angry. It's like sometimes men get angry, and we almost we almost just accept that. But yeah. what about for women? Yeah, you th- think about um, when somebody says the term "he's an angry guy." Well, what comes to mind, right? I mean, maybe that even means he's powerful. Could be, yeah. But when you hear the term "angry woman," for most people, you know, certainly historically, that would mean, well, she's crazy. Right. Right. She's a nut. Right. So for women to actually face anger takes a lot of courage. Right. Because of this history that, that follows us into the, into the present and, and the future. And so the women that attend our, our, our groups tend to be courageous. Yeah. They're willing to look at this stuff and go into this place that, you know, you're, it's kind of like you're being a bit of a rebel. Because we're not actually, women aren't supposed to go there according to historic you know, societal norms. Yeah. And so there's some power in the room. And, and the women are often surprised, as are the men, when the men attend the men's groups, that it's just a regular bunch of women. Like there's, you know, it's just a regular bunch of people in the room for the, for the most part. You, know, you never know. There might be a wingnut in there. Yep, yep. But, <laughs> but for the most part, it's just people who care enough about the people around them that they're willing to actually step in and do something with it. Yeah. The women's groups, there's a lot more tears. Mm-hmm. They're more willing to uh, be emotional. And typically, they're, uh, emotion- they, they have more experience with the emotions because women are allowed to experience all the emotions, uh, except for anger. Whereas mm. men are allowed to be angry, but not experience the rest of the emotions. Right. So men typically have more to learn emotionally than women do, but women need to learn more about anger so that it isn't this forbidden thing that you're not allowed to have. Because, you know, as as you mentioned, the more you push that aside and, and don't look at it, the more power it has over the person absolutely right well i mean this is a a fascinating subject and i think it's one that uh so many people can benefit from when they start putting some of these tools and practices into their life and and it's such a it's a great one i think for people to try well let's say improve like you said i was going to say master but i think maybe improve is a better way of saying it yes and it's just like well the less explosive conflict where we do something we regret in the world, the, the less we have of that, the better. Yeah, if I if I compare myself to when I first started running these groups 24 years ago, I'll say that I hurt the people I love less often. Yeah. I don't go as far down that path. I catch myself quicker. That's great. I apologize better. I create change within myself better more often. But we're, you know... <laughs> We're, we're going to keep on making mistakes, and most of us make the same mistakes over and over again. We're creatures of habit, and I just want to really look at this stuff within myself so that I, I keep on learning. And I think that's one of the good things is we can keep on learning more as long as we're willing to look at this stuff. There's always there's always more. There's always more. Yeah, it's a nonstop journey of learning, and hopefully we're... Improving yeah. a little bit along the way and having some compassion for ourselves when we screw up, because inevitably we will screw up. Yeah. Happens all the time. Just let's try to do it a little bit less. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's been that's excellent. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to get out there today? 
Uh, well, at angerman.ca, there's yep. a resources page with uh, all sorts of podcasts and videos and uh, articles and Excellent. things that uh, a lot of people find helpful. And you're killing it on Insta- Instagram. <laughs> I, I see like your memes, a new meme every day. It's impressive. Moose Anger Management on Instagram. It's just like, how do you produce all this content? I'm just like, it, it just flows out of me. Yeah. Well, I'm just like, yeah. I got to pitch got to get a picture with you guys here too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll definitely have you back on again. And anything new you learn, we'd, we'd love to share it with our audience. And um, yeah, it's always great having you on. And thanks for you know connecting with us and and doing man talks like you did and yeah. and uh, for the work that you do because you're making the world a little more harmonious of a place. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me here. No okay. problem. Well, if you like what you heard today, you could leave us a review and rating on iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher. That really helps us get found. If you'd like to try floating, like we talked about several times in the podcast, you can use the promo code VancouverReal, and that will get you a 20% discount on a single float. Uh, we have our new float cabins. we got tanks. we got a podcasting room. We just painted the floors. Gastown's looking great. It is looking great. Come in and see us. And until next time. To whatever is. To whatever is. Thank you.